Thank you for joining us this week online. For the past two months, we have taken one Wednesday evening each month and joined together for a time of worship and prayer. This Wednesday, August 11th, is going to be our next opportunity for that time of prayer at 6.30 p.m. Now, in addition to this date for this particular Wednesday of worship and prayer, we have also selected the second Wednesday of September, October, and November to serve as our next additional times of worship and prayer for our church and for our community. Hopefully that'll make it a little bit easier as you plan and put things down on your calendar uh, and things to look forward to. Again, Wednesday night, 6.30 in the Multipurpose Building, we will have a time of worship and prayer uh, for our church, for our community. Join us for the next few months as we do that on the second Wednesday of the month. Now, these are times where we, if you've never attended one, these are times where we hope to model prayer for you, for your family, where we pray for each other, we pray for each other, uh, and we pray for others. Uh, we look forward to seeing you this week for that time. One of our upcoming dates for our families is on this coming Saturday, August the 14th. No matter if you have preschoolers or grade school children or above, bottom line, anyone who wants to can join us for our family fun day. So grab the kids, load them in the car, drive down to Mount Shepherd, which is close to Asheboro, North Carolina, on Saturday, August 14th from 1 to 4 p.m. All the details are on our website. We do need you to sign up for this opportunity uh, so that we know who's coming and make sure we have everything we need. You can go canoeing, uh, swimming, zip lining, uh, play gaga ball, whoever knows what that's about, right? Ball fields, you can take a hike to a fire tower, you can go fishing. Again, that is limited to 250 people um, from 11 to 4 on August 14th. So join us uh, for that opportunity. Again, go to richfork.com to sign up for that. Now today we are going to continue to walk through our series on the stories of redemption. Uh, and I'm excited about to see what God wants to do through our time of teaching this weekend. Now we will conclude this series on August the 15th. So I'm anticipating just, just an awesome way to pull all of these together. So thank you for remaining faithful to join us each week uh, as we journey into the stories of redemption. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that each week we get to come and share some things that are going on in and around our church. But God, each week we have the opportunity to proclaim your word and your truth uh, to those who uh, may not physically be able to attend, uh, who may have restrictions that are keeping them from attending, or those who are new to Rich Fork and are examining, kind of evaluating, is this the place for them to step into the building uh, and to call home? Uh, God, whatever the case is, I pray that uh, you, your word would go before us, uh, would speak the message that's needing to be heard by those that are listening, whether they are listening on Sunday or Saturday or two weeks or two months from now. God, may your word just ring true for each of them. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up uh, in Charlotte, there was a little boy who was in school with me. He was in my grade, but we were not in the same classes until we got into high school. His name was Brian. Now, I'm not going to give you his last name because somebody's going to track him down on social media. But if I can admit something to you, I, it's not easy to admit. Brian was better 
everything. He was faster than me, but only a little. He made better grades than me, but only a little. And in elementary school, the girls that I had crushes on, they liked him more. It was devastating. So one day, I had enough. I made my plan. Our two classes, we shared the playground during recess, and the doors would open up at you know a certain time, and my plan was to be the first one out the door. To get to the playground, there was a giant hill that you would go down. At least it was giant to me in third grade. It probably was just a slope in reality. But my plan was to race out, to get to the top of the hill, run a little bit ahead of Brian, and then pause and put out my foot and trip him. And in my mind, I watched him stumble down the hill. And yes, I sadly, in my mind, I had thought how much I would enjoy my classmates laughing at him and ridicule him. I know, very sinful, wrong plan, but it was my plan. So we lined up at the door. We announced it was recess. We, I raced out the door and I found the subject of my my demise, of how I was going to take care of him. I got a few steps ahead of him. I, I started down the giant mountain, the slope, the hill, whatever it was. I, I started down and I paused. And when I went to try to turn sideways to kick out, to trip him, the enemy, it's, it's then when it happened. You might think that you might have thought about this before I even did then, but when you're running downhill and you pause, your body doesn't agree with a sudden halting in motion. My leg is kicked out to trip, but my body keeps going. And I begin to roll, to flip. And much to my surprise and much to my disappointment, the enemy, Brian, he never even saw my plan unfurl. He is gone. I am tumbling and I get to the bottom of this huge mountain or slope or hill that I've careened down. My clothes are dirty. My third grade body was aching. My glasses were somewhere but not on me and my body was in pain. But nothing was in pain more than the embarrassment. Nothing was more broken than my ego. In reality, I laid there much longer than the pain endured with my damaged ego. But for one day, I wanted to be the best, right? I wanted to win the race. I wanted to be the greatest. I think if we're honest, at some point in life, we've all had a moment of wanting to be able to proclaim that we're the best. Maybe if not the best, then at least we want to have a few people behind us or under us that, that we can have the appearance that we're better than. We even do this when we have children. My kids, we want them to be more talented than the others. We may not say it, but we think it. We, we live in a sinful world that has implanted deep inside of each of us that if we're not the best, if we're not the greatest, or if our family filters on our pictures does not display perfect happiness and perfection, then we're failing. Today, as we continue to allow the theme of redemption in Scripture 
to grow in each of us, I hope we can learn from Jesus, a servant. A servant who became a savior. And I pray that you can allow the story of redemption to sink in today that you and I can be challenged by the Redeemer to serve others and cling to the promise that when Jesus went to the cross, it was more than enough. Jesus the Savior says, it's finished. And because it's finished, we can spend our time pursuing a relationship to the Redeemer instead of our pursuit of becoming our own Savior, of trying to become the greatest, the best, but instead clinging to the hope that Jesus is more than enough. Our stories of redemption today take us into the final moments recorded in Scripture of Jesus prior to His arrest and His crucifixion. As I was reading through the passages from last week, chapter 21, I, I took notice of a few verses in the next chapter. Now let me set the stage for this passage. Jesus in Luke 22, 1-23, has just established the Lord's Supper. A, a moment where Jesus, He took a 2,000-year-old tradition and He made it new by proclaiming Him to be the sacrifice. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it was a moment that those in the room could not grasp completely until the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But no matter their level of comprehension in the moment, the disciples were close to Jesus. They watched Him closely. He had spoken about becoming a sacrifice, yet still, in the middle of this heartfelt moment, what are they doing? They're trying to be the best. Luke 22, 24-27 says this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Really, guys? Jesus has washed your feet. You've watched Him heal people and you're arguing over which one of you is going to be the best, the greatest, the most renowned. Now, this passage is a reality check for me. Because a part of me, I want to mock the disciples at this moment. How could you be so childish? But then I realize at times, this is still me. I want to be the greatest. I want to be the best. But the entire premise of being the greatest is that my sinful desire to be better than puts someone under me less than. So Jesus addresses this attitude in verse 25. His response to their question. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Quick summary. Jesus says to the disciples, you live in a world where the greatest is measured by how many people are under you. Kings have subjects. They rule over them. But Jesus, Jesus the Redeemer, again is going to shift the system. He's going to move the entire thought process. Jesus, the Redeemer, taught and modeled being a servant. So the dialogue continues. Verse 26. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, who reclines at the table 
or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus the Redeemer taught and modeled being a servant. And because I pursue a relationship with Jesus the Redeemer, I, you and I must pursue serving others instead of pursuing greatness as defined by the world. This is counterculture, is it not? To the teaching to them, but also to you and me. The teaching moment from Jesus as the disciples were arguing about who is going to be the greatest was to highlight the role of serving one another. He did not highlight each of their spiritual gifts and tell them which one was going to rank over the other, nor did he give them a scale of greatness. Instead, he simply said, but I, I among you, I am among you as the one who serves. As we continue to allow stories of redemption to sink into our lives and actions, I want to ask you a few questions there for me, but also for you in light of the teaching of Jesus here. Who has God given me? Who has God given to you as the opportunity to serve? Our broken, selfish world would ask, who is under me? But let's allow Jesus to guide us. Start with those closest to you. A spouse, a a dating relationship, your children, your parents who might be aging, your grandparents, your co-workers, friends, people you encounter on a day-to-day basis. At this point, it's important for me to speak to those who have risen in our world standards to a high level of leadership, maybe in a company or a field of study or a career path. And you have many people organizationally who are under your leadership. Would they view you as a servant? How can you begin to move towards modeling being a servant? And why is it so important? Because to lead them, to lead them and model servant is to lead them to the redemptive servant that's in your life, Jesus Christ. One of the most profound ways to impact our community as we shape and share is to serve others. This is why our fortnight for our community teachers was so important. This is why we serve meals to medical personnel and to those in our church who were shut in during the heart of 2020 because Jesus models being a servant. So we must be known as people who willingly, lovingly, and compassionately serve others. So as you ask, who has God given me the opportunity to serve? Allow me to lean into that question with a couple of practical responses. How do you serve others that God has placed around you? Take time to listen. Listening requires us to pause, to stop, to listen. Listening requires us to interrupt our schedule in order to listen to the needs of those in our path.
one of the most profound ways that you can serve and impact others in our world is to listen, to take to heart their concerns, to share the weight of those that we're serving. One way for us to serve others is take time to listen. Another practical way, it sounds easier said than done, is change roles with someone that you're trying to serve. As you seek to serve someone, allow yourself to mentally put yourself in their moment, in their situation, in their sadness, in their difficulty. And in doing this, we need to remember that everyone is of equal importance to God. We all need to give our lives to Jesus as Savior. And a profound way to lead someone to Christ is to be willing to place yourself in their position, even if it's only mentally. Another way is to keep serving, even when it costs you something. When five-sixths of my family had COVID back in April, we had several people, several groups who did things for us that cost them of their time, of their resources, financially, their, their gifts and their abilities. This is modeled by Jesus. He was willing to listen. He was willing to put himself in those positions. And he was willing to give when it cost him the most. Jesus, the Redeemer, gave a new paradigm of leadership in verse 27. It's not simply a statement. He said, but I am among you as the one who serves. When we struggle with trying to be greater than someone else, when we're fighting the tug to be defined by our successes, may we stop, may we be reminded that Jesus the Redeemer taught and modeled being a servant. Those who have been redeemed must be known as servants rather than the ones needing to be served. As we lean closer into the timeline of Jesus, then we encounter the, the ultimate example of Jesus as a servant. When Jesus became a sacrifice for our sins, we've continued to circle back around these, these statements, these two statements since week one in this series. The first, redemption is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. But we also said this, redemption, a price is paid for the freedom of someone. In the Gospel of John, as in the Gospel of Luke, but in the Gospel of John for us today, we read of the death of Jesus. It's described in painful even graphic terms. But this is the picture of a servant. And in this moment, the servant displays his power as a savior. At any turn, Jesus could have displayed power over Pilate. He could have flipped the scene and performed a host of miracles to alter the moment. But he would remain a servant when it cost him all the way to the cross. The book of John tells us in John 19, verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. 
And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves to crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. This process continues. It's hard to even read. The crowds have the opportunity to have Jesus released, but they demand this servant, this Savior, to demand his crucifixion. Now let me remind you that the Romans, of who are carrying out this role, they had become specialists in carrying out the punishment known as crucifixion. They knew how to take someone to the verge of death slowly destroying their flesh and keeping them alive until they punished them enough with their repeated methods and techniques. And in doing so, they stripped each victim of every ounce of self-worth. Jesus became the redeeming servant on the cross. Redemption requires a payment, an exchange, And Jesus became the payment for my sin and for yours. They would take Jesus to Golgotha for the crucifixion. They would gamble for his clothing as prophesied and promised in Scripture. Jesus would then interact with his mother who was there even in this moment at the cross. Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word, it is finished, is the word to telestai. We explored that powerful word in great detail several years ago in a message on an Easter weekend. But I want to briefly explore this phrase, this word. Why? Because this is redemption. It is finished. Jesus proclaims, but but what's finished? In order to answer what's finished, what is Jesus speaking of? We have to look at a couple other places in Scripture to know what's finished. How is redemption taking place in this moment 2,000 years ago? In the Old Testament, God had given a set of standards for priests, the spiritual leaders for the people of Israel. In these standards were countless sacrifices that would be made 
monthly, some weekly, but definitely each year by a high priest. I could take a year of our Sunday mornings and outline the sacrifice system given by God for the people in order for them to offer a sacrifice to cover their sinfulness. Redemption. They had burnt offerings, they had peace offerings, they had grain offerings, they had sin offerings. Some of the sacrifices were made monthly, some seasonally. But one was offered yearly. It was a complex system. But I'm so glad that Jesus came and fulfilled this system. Jesus the Redeemer brought hope. He brought fulfillment and grace. Jesus Christ offered Himself as a payment for sin upon the cross. He became the sacrifice. The Savior had come. The Redeemer arrived. The writer of Hebrews says this. Chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear it? One offering, it's finished. It's completed in a moment, completed for all time, completed for all redemption. Redemption became real. And it's now no longer about a system. In John, it's now about a Savior. This is what we who have placed our trust in Jesus call the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And while I've said it many times, I cannot repeat it enough. Jesus became what we could not. He became sin. He took upon Himself the weight, the pain, and He embraced it upon the cross. It was finished. Redemption. A price had been paid. For many of you listening, this message, the reminder of the death of Jesus is not new. But make no mistake about it, it is still magnificent. And it will be forever. The picture of redemption. The act of a servant and a savior. We must remind ourselves of this often. Of remind ourselves of redemption in our lives as we share this message with others, we must continue to remind ourselves of our redemption through Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians, and you, you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, Jesus, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Jesus is the Redeemer, the servant, and the Savior. Is Jesus your Redeemer, your servant, your Savior? 
Jesus took what was dead and made it alive. According to Colossians, he canceled the debt of sin. He nailed it to a cross. He flipped the system, the rulers, the ideas of greatness that are defined by position, and he declared, it's finished. Yet because it is finished, you can have life in his name. Because of his death and resurrection, you don't have to be defined by your failures and you aren't measured by your successes. Instead, you are covered, you are redeemed by the gift of God, salvation through Jesus Christ, the servant and the Savior. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Is Jesus your Redeemer? Is He your servant? Is He your Savior? Would you pray with me? God, I have no idea who will be watching this video. I don't know where they live. I don't know their past. I don't know their situation in life. But I know that you desire to be their Redeemer. I know that you desire to save them. I know that you desire a relationship with them and you have gone before them, taking their sin to the cross. You have gone before them in stepping onto the planet and becoming a servant. Jesus, every step of the way, you took what everyone thought of a savior, of a hero, and you changed it all around. Because as our Redeemer, you became a servant. Not the one who was reclined at the table waiting to be served, but you served us first. You served us with your death. You served us with your conquering sin and death in the resurrection. And you give us life. So God, I pray for those that I do not know, that I may never interact with. I pray for those that are watching this in their home. I pray for those who in months to come may be watching this in a different location, in a different setting, whatever the case, that they would know that Jesus is a servant, a Savior, a Redeemer for each of us. In Jesus' name. I make it known each week that if you need to respond and are participating in this message online, you can do so in a couple of ways. Again, whether this is this weekend or two months from now, 
you can shoot me an email. It's just michael at richfork.com or you can fill out an online guest form and share with us. That'll eventually come to me through a couple of other people. Yes, but it, it'll come to me so we can know how to come alongside you spiritually. And as you step into this week, I want to challenge you to ask, who has God given me the opportunity to serve? I can't wait to hear how God uses you as a servant to speak, to listen, to be there, to live out redemption for others. But also, we must keep asking, is Jesus your Redeemer, your servant, and your Savior? I hope you have an incredible week knowing that Jesus became a servant, a Savior, for each of us. Thank you for your time.